the title of our lesson is The Captivating Beauty of Love. And the theme is A Call to Oneness. Um, Peter and I enjoy listening to Chinese songs while we each work on our computers. Um, Peter has a playlist on his computer, and usually on the playlist is a girl singing about a boy she loved who now passes her without turning his head. I wonder if he is remembering the first letter that I wrote, um, that he wrote to me um, when I had just returned to the U.S. in 1988. I, I had left him to check in at the airport, and I didn't turn my head back to get one last look. In his letter to me, he imagined that I was thinking, and this is a quote, I am so happy right now. I am on my way back home. I am so happy to get rid of someone whom I want to avoid for a long time. Bye-bye, Peter. <laughs> now, from now, we are going to have a long distance, and you can't see me and call me. The reality was that I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to keep my emotions in check, knowing that it would probably be two years before I saw him again. Love expects to be noticed. Ignoring someone um, loved is a sign of a problem in a relationship. Peter was right to expect me to turn my head to look at him one last time. In our lesson today, the beloved not only notices his bride, but also gives her beautiful, detailed compliments of what he sees that stirs his passion to enjoy oneness with her. Chapter 1 and 2, the man and the woman had um, expressed their love for each other. Then in chapter 3, the woman leaves the security of her bedroom to search for her beloved. In chapter 5 that we'll study next week, um, she is again searching for him in the streets, and this time her search is met with violence. Today's passage is the central passage of the Song of Solomon. It's sandwiched between the dark um, the dark times of searching. The beloved in this passage assures his bride of his love and woos her to oneness with him. The security that she finds in her beloved's covenantal commitment to her sustains her through the rough times um, when she is sick with love, which we see we saw in two six, and we'll see in five eight. <clears throat> right before this passage, we saw King Solomon's warriors escorting Solomon's bride on his wedding day. And today's passage will also have some links with um, Solomon's wedding procession. So, the title, The Captivating Beauty of Love, Called to Oneness. 
in the first seven verses of the Song, Song of Solomon 4, we read the beautiful compliments of um, the beloved, that the beloved gives his bride. In chapter 2, where the bride is compared to, as with chapter 2, where the bride is compared to a horse, some of the compliments need to be unpacked in the context of Romeo and the shepherd troubadour, uh, the, the shepherd troubadour singing outside of Juliet, the country girl's window in Israel, with its high peaked mountains and rolling hills, and with wild terrain and cultivated gardens. In this promised land, the beloved beholds his, her beauty, and he is wowed. Um, so, love beheld. He begins by twice telling her, twice. So, take note. How beautiful you are. Repetition of a phrase shows emphasis, like an exclamation mark. Um, to his compliment. He is awed at the sight of his bride. As in chapter 2, um, verse 15, how in, um, in the ESV is translated, behold, he has singled her out and she is the only one he sees. I was always amazed at um, train stations in China, um, when I could look out over a sea of black hair and my gaze would immediately pick out Peter, who had come to pick me up. To me, he stood out as unique in a sea of darkness. His, he captured my gaze. Enraptured by her beauty, the beloved begins to detail the beauty he sees, beginning with her head and ending with her breast. Your eyes are like doves behind your veil. We saw this description before in chapter 115. The eyes are windows to a person. So even though they are partially covered by the veil, his eyes first gaze into her eyes. She is not um, to him merely a woman among many coveted for their sexual charms. She is the one and only woman for him, a person to be looked in the eyes. Comparing her eyes to doves conveys the idea of peace and purity, said one, one commentary. Um, at that time, doves were also seen as symbols of sexual attraction. The veil she was wearing over her face, and I should point out that it's not fleas as is possible translation for chapter one, right. <laughs> um, where she was walking among the shepherds. This veil was worn for special occasions like a wedding uh, like a wedding to both hide and enhance a bride's beauty the eyes are seen just above the veil next his gaze falls on her hair which he describes 
like goats coming down a mountain. His description of her hair is strange to our ears, but it would have blessed the bride. Viewed from a distance, a herd of black goats skipping down a mountainside as the sun glistened on their black hair was beautiful. Through the thin veil, he notices also her teeth, her mouth, lips, and some, some translations say temples, some say cheeks. I think it is cheeks because that would be behind the veil. Um, of her teeth, he says, your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing, all of which bear twins, and not one of them has lost her young. Again, not how we would describe beautiful teeth. <laughs> but it is clear that he sees them as clean and white and none of them are missing, which uh, back in those days, they did have some dental problems. So that was a good thing. <laughs> Her lips are full and red compared to a scarlet thread for color, not thinness. The scarlet thread may, one of the commentators said, may um, have been used in sexual activity and adopted by prostitutes as a symbol for their business. Um, and so in Joshua 2, we find Rahab, the prostitute, um, used a cord of scarlet thread to mark her window as the spies told her to do. After complimenting her red lips, the beloved seems to be redundant, uh, seems to redundantly say her mouth is lovely. By mouth, here he's probably talking about her speech. In chapter 2, we also saw the beloved admired her voice. Um, in 2.14, um, we read, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Paul instructs the church in Colossae on lovely speech. Conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. And that's in Colossians 4, 5, and 6. In surveys, one thing that men desire most in marriage is a peaceful home. As women of faith, grace should be seen in our speech to strangers, friends, and co-workers, and most of all, to our husbands. Grace more than the desire to be right in an argument. Does our speech attract outsiders to the gospel? Will our, our beloved find our speech lovely? Or do we dishonor him by having speech that is no different than the world, especially on social media? Mm. Oops. Yeah. Um, 
in um, verse 4, 3, her cheeks, or, or in some translations, temples, blush red with desire and sweetness, as the I, I thought of Sound of Music, as the Countess said to Maria in The Sound of Music. There's nothing so attractive to a man as a woman blushed with love for him. For her veiled, uh, from her veiled face, he moves to uh, uh, his gaze to her strong, elegant neck that is compared to a, the Tower of David. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields all, of, all around um, all the round shields of the mighty men. Again, we see um, mighty men that we saw guarding the bride in chapter 3. But their shields have been surrendered to her beauty and hung like tokens around her smooth neck, which is... Um, what the row of stones means. They're, they're cut with exactness so that there's no gaps in between and no need for mortar. Military images were also used in 110 where her beauty was enhanced with, the, with jewelry um, and compared with um, compared to a mare among the pharaoh's chariots. And on her neck, she wears a string of beads. Moving down her body, he comes to the most sensual part, her breast. He compares them to twin fawns, young, playful, and soft. He desires to be with her in oneness, and until the cool of the day and the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. That's chapter 4, verse 6. He names her breasts fragrant mountains. Remember in, in um, chapter 1, verse 13, she had likened her beloved to a pouch of myrrh between her breasts. My beloved is to me a pouch of myrrh, which lies all night between my breasts. Now the beloved calls her breast myrrh and frankincense. He will meet her in the cool of the day, which is an allusion to Eden in Genesis 3.8, when God would walk with Adam and Eve with oneness and no shame. We saw this allusion before in 2.17, when the bride says to her beloved, um, it says her beloved pastures his flock among the lilies until the cool of the day when the shadows flee. The beloved is captivated by all her um, outward beauty and ends up, ends with an exclamation, you are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. In the eyes of her beloved, she is 
flawless. He is not looking at the skin that had been darkened by working outside as a, a flaw to reject. He was not inspecting her teeth like a, a horse in the market. He has already been captivated by her. He loves her. Some may say his love is blind, overlooking the flaws, but that's not exactly true. He um, loves, I'm sorry, his love loves all that makes her who she is. To him, he, uh, she alone is the flower and all the others are just brambles. That's in chapter 2, verse 2. When I was flying to Seattle, I watched a movie, Wonder. Um, in the movie, Augie was born with facial de deformities. He liked to wear a helmet to cover his deformities. His dad hides the helmet and explains he misses seeing his face. He says, I, I know you don't always like it, but I love it. It's my son's face. While the son wanted to fit in with his classmates, it was his uniqueness that his father loved. In another part of the movie, the principal is talking to the parents um, of a student who had been bullying Augie and explained that Augie can't change his face, so maybe we can change our way of seeing. God has a different way of seeing us. He told Samuel not to look at the appearance of Jesse's sons, for God sees not as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. It's 1 Samuel 16, 7. In a book um, that I read while I was in Seattle, I did this while I was in Seattle, um, the God of the Garden by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson writes, the gospel broke through um, because it isn't just the fact that we're all fallen. It's, it's about the fact that we're perfectly loved. God loved us even when we were enemies of God. God demonstrated his love to us by sending his son while we were sinners. Romans 5.8 um, says, But God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get our act together and be lovable. We couldn't. God didn't give us a seven-step plan to fix our lives. He gave us his son. When we embrace the gospel, we wear his son's righteous robe. Our inside is no longer home for our sinful heart, but Jesus' own heart given to us through the Holy Spirit. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it reads, Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
When our spirits have been awakened by God to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus for forgiveness, Jesus sees the heart of his son in us. God sees as uh, us as beautiful without blemish. God is not blind to the sin that we must daily repent of, but he sees the finished work of the cross in our new heart. Union, union with Jesus that will keep on working sanctification in us until our marriage feast in heaven, where our union with Jesus will be complete. After proclaiming his love for her physical beauty, the beloved calls his bride to come to him. Uh, point two, um, love beckoned. There are many words repeated here, Lebanon, Spice, My Bride, and many others. Um, in the last chapter, we read about um, Solomon's wedding pr procession. Here in this chapter, we have the first juice of My Bride in um, chapter 4, verse 8. My Bride is is used six times in the Song of Solomon, and five are in this section. Um, and then we find my bride again in the the last verse of our, our lesson, um, chapter 5, verse 1. He is calling her to union with him as his bride. She seems to be a dangerous distance away among lions and leopards in the the high northern mountains. She seems like an unapproachable Egyptian goddess. She must be willing to come to him. He will not force her down. As he looks at her, just a slight movement of her neck or a glance of her eyes takes his breath away. You have made my heart beat faster, um, my my sister, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes, with a single strand of your necklace. That's chapter 4, verse 9. Like the promised land, she is dripping with milk and honey and fragrant oils. But her garden also is inaccessible to him. The Garden of Eden was also inaccessible, guarded by a flaming sword so that Adam and Eve could not enter after they sinned. Uh, he, uh, God stationed, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword that turned um, every direction, guarding the way to the tree of life in Genesis 3.24. The bride's garden was also locked, locked waiting, waiting for the proper time to unlock. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A rock garden locked, a spring sealed up. Chapter 4, verse 12. She must be willing to unlock her garden for him to enjoy. Her spring or her fountain is sealed. The 
love can enjoy the lush fruitfulness of her garden until she gives him access. She has warned the daughters of Jerusalem not to awaken or arouse love until the time is right. And she has given, she has been keeping her virginity for her beloved. And now is a time to celebrate by giving it to him as a gift as they come together in covenantal union. She is ripe and ready for his love expressed in their union. Their love is to be enjoyed. So the final section, love enjoyed, awaken to life. Sex is not as the world would have us believe, just bodies coming together. It is also the blending of two hearts into one. Slowly we see her awaken her love, or as some commentators say, it is the blood awakening her. In 415, her spring is no longer sealed. The streams begin to flow. She calls the north and south winds, um, which blow opposite the course of the sun, to bring life to her garden by breathing out its fragrance and inviting her beloved in to feast in her garden. Most importantly, she calls the garden his. In verse 2.16, she had exclaimed, My beloved is mine and I am his. Now she is ready to be consumed by him in the consummation of their covenantal love. Now as her beloved enters the garden, the pronouns shift again as he claims her garden as my, my garden. Nine times as they make love, the beloved calls what he is enjoying my. She is no longer a bride waiting um, to fully experience the love of her beloved she um, is known by him and is fully his wife. Rather than encourage restraint, the chorus now encourages them, encourages them to fully enjoy their union, to eat and drink deeply. This passage is in the center of the Song of Solomon and therefore the main theme of the song. The movement of two becoming one flesh. We have seen this movement before in other cycles um, that pointed to the central consummation of their union where their individual identities are so intertwined in the mystery of marriage that they are one that God joined together and no man can separate. In Matthew 19, 6 we read, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. It is um, through this mystery of marriage that God pictures the covenantal union of his people. God had a covenant relationship with Israel, but they were adulterous in their worship of idols and God justly punished them. God made a new um, covenant in the body of 
and blood of his Son. Through faith in his Son, Jesus, we come into union with Jesus and belong to his body, the church. We celebrate this union when we remember his death and participate in communion with him. One day our union will be complete at the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will no longer desire to do anything that would break our union with him. Until that day, Christ continues to work the gospel of the cross in our heart so that the world can see more and more of our union with Jesus and we lose our identity in him.